Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 163rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's however long it takes to make you all Orzov rich and branding be damned. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening to the rest of our listeners. How are how are you tonight enjoying this uh this break in the weather finally yeah it's been solid um still reeling though from you turning me into a living meme inside our discord uh, i said microsynth lattice twice before i said latisse god damn it oh i haven't been keeping up is that a running joke now yes <laughs> that's good um our they, they were very they were very proud of you for cornering me <laughs> well that was <laughs> Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading show, sorry, produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, uh, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. You can consistently use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. And I should probably make note that if you buy enough stuff over there, you actually can uh, ramp up to, I think, 10 or 12% off as a rolling total once you've uh, got enough uh, road under your wheels. That's really good. Genuinely good. Um, okay. Uh, well, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers. Everyone's favorite segment. We'll talk about all the cards that have changed in price and tell you why we think they changed in price, and you'll all listen to it. Segment two is our cards to watch. We might do this. I don't know. I haven't decided if we're going to talk about our picks yet, but if we do, these will be the cards that we tell you we think might go up in price. Segment three, we our might Maggie. Just start, we, we might just start whispering them, like, and then everybody will scream into their headphones and shut. tell the people around them to shut up. <laughs> uh, I can do that. Uh, in segment three, our metagame, we can review the modern open over in Cleveland. And finally, our topic of the week, uh, we have a listener question we'll touch on. And also, per some of our chatter last week, maybe we'll go back to the basics a little bit uh, for some of our newer listeners or people uh, not as steeped in all of this as uh, as we all are. So... Let's get it started here uh, at the beginning of segment one, our top movers, uh, the first five rows. James, I see you decimated my spreadsheet formatting again, so thank you. No, nothing upsets Travis more. Uh, first card is uh, doubling season out of Modern Masters, uh, about 50 to 60, so not a huge jump, but uh, at the same time, uh, a genuine movement. Um, you know, we saw... You know, the lows were around 50 and now they're around 60. So that's a solid $10 increase there and probably not done yet because all the people who are going to buy a zillion um, EDH cards with all the new Planeswalkers haven't even really gotten there yet. We know that market tends to run very slow relative to, you know, those of us that live in this bubble. So I don't think doubling season's done yet. 
And the thing is, I, I'm willing to bet you that internally at Watsi, they looked at the reprinting of this in Battlebond last year as the obvious setup for war being released this year. You know, like they, they knew they didn't have final lists yet for war, but they knew that it was a planeswalker set at the, that point. It's part of a long term plan. And they they thought they were giving us all the gift they needed to by setting up Battlebond within a year of the printing of war. But as it turns out, doubling season is just that popular. It's going it's probably gonna hit eighty again, just on the strength of the popularity of war cards. Um, and the resurgent popularity probably of Atraxa in EDH and any other Planeswalker builds that may develop uh, instead. And because of that, um, you know, I think it's worth keeping tabs on what's happening with doubling season. We've already seen the judge promos explode, which was one of my picks recently. Um, and there's just no way for any of that to be replenished because there's not all that much battle bond left lying around. And the previous sets it was in before that are even older and harder to find and the boxes are all expensive mm-hmm. um so so pretty pretty good stuff there i think um you know if i i wouldn't be selling any my doubling seasons if i had any i think pretty sure i sold a lot a while ago so the next card on our list is a pre-order uh teferi time raveler we flagged this last week as a card that will has a pretty solid shot at making waves in some combination of standard modern and edh um, this is the new uh, low casting cost of fairy that uh, forces your opponents to play at sorcery speed and has a bunch of interesting combos. And people seem to be get excited, getting excited about the card. It's been ratcheting up um, in price. I think it's already doubled from its origin, like the lowest uh, posted price by Star City, um, and now looks like it may end up in the mid twenties before. Uh, the actual release of this product starts to drive the price back down. This card is awesome. And I think it's got a lot of legs on it. Um, so I'm not surprised to see this pre-order move up north of 20. Uh, following that is deploy the gate watch out of Eldritch moon three to about four and a quarter four fifty, for about 50% gain. Uh, I mean, planeswalker EDH, right? I know that we've talked about, it. I've written about it or talked about it on the cast, um, I know, you know, you're probably getting this anywhere that you get finance contests. So this isn't too surprising. I would guess that this is probably still 80% speculators and maybe 20% people actually buying copies for their own EDH decks. But those numbers will shift pretty hard once people are holding the new cards in their hand. I don't know. I've, I haven't had any trouble uh, shipping foils uh, on eBay. And I think that the strength of the buy lists on this card reflect that people are just going ahead and jumping in. I mean, if you didn't already have a tracks or, or weren't already running um, Deploy the Gatewatch, you have very little reason to hold back now because it's certainly not going to see a reprint here. Um, and if it doesn't see it here, who knows when you see it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's... It, there's definitely people, real people out there buying copies for themselves. I, I wouldn't say otherwise. Mm. Next on the list, we've got Scrying Sheets from Cold Snap. Um, this is partially our fault um, because we heard whispers that there were snow cards and horizons and we told the pro traders and the pro traders have been doing a lot of work on this card. So this is the foils of scrying sheets going from 40 to 60, 50% gains. Um, who's going to buy them from you now? Um, nobody really needs them. So this is all speculator activity yet. If it turns out that the whispers are true and there are snow cards in horizons, um, then these foils are probably going to hit hit hundred bucks. Um, in early hype 
as people just assume that scrying sheets will be useful. Um, who knows if that's actually the case? Even if it's in Horizons, maybe the snow theme is relatively minor. Um, it's not the whole set. It's not like it's no, it's not called Ice Age Two or anything. Um, and we've seen other cars that definitely did not have a snow theme. So my guess is that it might be twenty percent of the set if it's that. And then the question becomes: Is there enough? Uh, do you have critical mass to start and a snow commander to get people excited to build snow theme decks in EDH? Yeah. So, and I know, uh, you know, just to be clear, you and I each bought some of these. So, you know, just we own copies of this card. Um, which, we, which you should assume with almost anything we talk about. Right, right, right. And we, but we bought it because we like the uh, prospect, you know, given those, if those rumors are true, which we, we have reason to believe that they are reason enough, uh, we think there will definitely be activity on this at the, if there's snow announced in, Modern Horizons, this is definitely going to go nutty because it's one of the strongest snow cards that's essentially pickable. Um, I mean, stuff like Scrad is, you know, foils are already nuts and you have to imagine if, well, actually I wouldn't bring back Scrad because they said no cards that are currently legal in Modern. But in any case, it's the best existing snow card to spec on if you think snow is in Modern Horizons. Um, but you're right. Is- we, we have no idea really for sure, right? It's just pure speculation. And my logic was as follows. Huge upside if it turns out there are snow cards. If we're wrong, or the theme is unimpressive, Scred Red is still a fringe deck in Modern, and the relevant foils for it are going to continue to drain. And if they don't give it um, any new toys to play with, and they don't therefore publish any new snow cards, or any snow reprints, then the Scred foils are going to slowly drain out, of the, drain out of the market anyway. And most of these relevant snow cards, foil scred, foil uh, scrying sheets, or just scrying sheets, into the north foils were targeted by pro traders. Um, all of those cards are relatively decently buy list backed anyway, especially scrying sheets and scred foils. So wasn't a lot of risk, and there is some very significant upside. So like scrying sheets non-foils, picking those up in the like 10 to $12 range, pick picked up 20 or 30 probably um with fingers crossed and we'll see if that pays off yep same boat um following this is lux cannon so i see you've written down planeswalker edh you think that's the the action oh yeah because lux cannon is like you have to tap it three times to get three counters on it and then it gets rid of a permanent so proliferate um is what that's all about i it's it's depending on how powered up your attraction build is it may or may not make the final cut um, but the more proliferate cards they give us, the better it gets. Um, especially if you get some low casting cost ones that are just incidentally good. Like some kind of a, like, look at three cards, put one in your hand, proliferate or something. Um, that, something that goes alongside Tezzeret's Gambit, which almost always makes Atraxa. Um, draw some cards or look at some cards, card selection or card draw. A little bit of, um, if we get a green one that maybe like looks at some cards, searches up a land and proliferates or something. We got the green creature revealed this week that every time you play a land, it proliferates. Mm-hmm. So all of, cool. yeah, all of that stuff contributes to artifacts that want counters on them and then do good things. Okay. I mean, and there's definitely real demand here because I sold one this week, like just randomly one, one of my only ones listed sold. And I was like, hmm, it's just a random guy because I've kind of had this up for a little while. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, within the context of the Planeswalkers, it makes a lot of sense that you're interested in the proliferating because this card gets nutty if you're proliferating frequently. 
Um, okay, following that is Contagion Engine. Speaking of proliferating, non Scars uh, of Mirrodin, non foils, 13 to 20. There's your proliferate engine, right? If you're playing a lot of Planeswalkers, there's nothing better you can be doing than proliferating a lot. And this does it twice. So at 20 bucks, this is <clears throat> kind of pushing its limit a little bit. I would say you're looking at a very real ceiling around 30, maybe. Um, EDH doesn't like to get too far above that for cards unless they're super staples and very and quite old, I think. So... <clears throat> If I had Lux Cannons, I'd probably be happy, or uh, sorry, if I had Contagion Engines, I'd probably be happy to take anywhere north of 20 on them, and if they hit 24, 25, don't feel bad about it, just be glad that you did what you could while you could, because they could sneak this into a um, couple places this year, I think you could see non-foils show up. Foils are another story, uh, but non-foils I wouldn't mind getting rid of here. Yeah, there's a scant amount of supply close to 20. Foils, I've already sold a couple near 50. Um, I've got a Russian foil that I posted near 100 that I would probably not budge on. Um, the There's just no reprint opportunity for this anytime soon, and there's so much more Planeswalker hype to go. Like, we're, we're not even in the phase of the hype cycle yet where players have the cards in their hands. Well, that's... Wait, so that's different than what I said, because I think, I think they could stick this in the Commander set later this year, and... Uh, you it's, know, too, that's... it's too expensive now. Well, it, but it wouldn't have been when they put it in. True. True. I'm not saying it is, right? I just see that as a possibility. The thing is, you get, you're get going to get a six-month window before you get the list for Commander. At least sure. a four-month window. Sure. So, yeah, I'm not sure it's going to matter. Everybody, you're going to get out either to buy list or to players on your Contagion Engines in the next six weeks. Um, you you want to be in and out during this Planeswalker hype cycle, and then by the time we get to Modern Horizons hype, you want to already be moving on. Right. That's for sure. That's for sure. Get, being able to sell this stuff now, even if you're not realizing the true peak of it, um, is give, putting the funds back in your pocket to go after some other stuff, like whatever the Mythic Edition that's going to be in this is. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you make those so sales like, today, that sets you up to buy them in three weeks. And one of the techniques I use when I'm relatively deep on an EDH card that is typically going to sell one at a time and not as a playset. So something like if you have 20 Contagion <laughs> Engines that you bought close to $10 or something. You, you make it a pick on MTG Fast Finance so that the rest of the Discord members <laughs> yeah. will come buy it. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. More effectively, the um, one of your best better options is to, say, buy list half to two-thirds of that um, once the buy list takes hold. And the other third put up to sell onesie-twosie. Because mm-hmm. if you are really deep on a card like that that is going to have be in the spotlight for like three months or something, and then maybe not so much later. Um, you really would prefer to be in and out and reinvesting. So taking a little less, swallowing your pride a bit, and going through the buy list route is going to set you up just fine because you're going to want that sweet buy list credit to get your next onslaught of specs anyway. Yeah, I, I very much am a fan of just kind of selling and moving on and reinvesting because I have and do sit on specs way too long, uh, and I think the smart play is to not do that. Yep. Um, following that is Smothering Tithe out of Ravnica Allegiance, a card we've talked about. I think we popped up on the cast was that last week or the week before it got mentioned, and I know it's been talked about on here before. It's the white rustic study, essentially. Um very needed for those strategies. 
Uh, non-foils about five and change up towards 10. So this is a huge staple for EDH that kind of snuck in and people noticed it at first. There was discussion about it. I feel like it kind of got a, a little quiet. Um, it wasn't like Panharmonicon where I feel like it was just in everyone's faces all the time, but this thing has wasted no time in moving price. It is in high demand and it is not anywhere near done. Card Kingdom's offering nine ten buy list. That is nuts. For credit. Seven seven cash. And I was in on fifty copies in Europe at two bucks. So <laughs> what this says to me moving forward is that not every decent EDH card, but certainly every super stable. There doesn't seem to be any longer any reason to be holding off if the if the foils start to swing up hard and early and start to drain, then you can probably take a hard look at the non-foils and consider what kind of set they were in. Um, you know, fall sets your worst option, but everything else is a little better. Um, and stuff like Modern Horizons has built in uh, price variation. We can talk about that again when, when Modern Horizons is back on the docket. But because that's new cards in a $240 box, um, rarity is going to mean very different things. So EDH cards look like you can look at them earlier and earlier if they are super staples. Um, and not everything is. The the stuff from the fall still looks like it's on this kind of like 18 month to two year cycle before it pops for the most part. Like if you're looking at the good cards, like Wind Grace's Judgment from a year or two back, um, you know, that kind of stuff still se- needs, seems to need a little bit of time to mature. But a super staple, looking at them earlier and earlier. Yeah. And the, and the hard part there is, I think, probably identifying them. Right. Yeah. Like which which is is smothering tithe, you know, when smothering tithe is released and we all look at it and we go, wow, this is really good for white and EDH. Well, is that super, super spec good? Like just one of those cars, it's insane. Or is it just really solid? Uh, and you're going to have to feel out the market or feel out, really feel out the writers, listen to the people who are real deep in the format and get a sense for where that, what they're saying and also keep an eye on inventory to try and get a feel for it. Um, because I really smothering ties is a tithe is a hit, right? When was the last time we had a smothering tithe? The last time that a standard card was this popular in EDH so much so that it moved like this. It's been a while, right? It's not that often. So, um, you don't want to take those shots willy nilly. Yeah. I mean, Panharmonica and then, Panharmonicon and Etherflux Reservoir are both solid analogs. Um, they're fairly specific, but they are colorless. So I think that balances off against the kind of universality of Smothering Tithe being just fitting in every white deck. Um, and they took a long time. Like, I, I'm curious if they were to come out now, whether they would have taken as long to go to pop off. Kaladesh had so many good artifacts that it... it and, and it was a fall set. Um, so Smothering Tithe from uh, Guilds of Ravnica in the fall might still be languishing under $5. Um, it's hard to say, but it's definitely worth starting to think about um, trying to pick up on these staples early. Sometimes there's some confusion, right? Because the thing about Smothering Tithe is it's not standard or modern. So you had a very clear perspective on it the whole time as an EDH-only card. Some other cards that, can, that come out that are obvious standard and modern you know powerhouses that are also good in edh you, the waters are going to get muddied right like this teferi that popped off early is that going to fall back down is it going to hit 40 is it going to end up in a modern deck that top eights in the next three months or do nothing like we just don't know yet 
Um, so it's trickier with cards like that. I, yeah, I agree. It, being able to you, listen, if you can pull these out regularly, if you can spot them when they happen every time, um, congratulations, you're better at this than the rest of us. <laughs> that really is just, that's extraordinarily hard to do. Um, but you know, if you get it, if, if you get it right, where you get if, if you, if you get it right, uh, what did you say? You got 50 copies at two bucks. I mean, when you get it right, you get it right. Yeah. And feels pretty good. 20, 20 foils at 10. Yeah. Uh, so the, and those are selling, like I sold two this afternoon at 32 each. Whew. Um, next card on the list, Queen Marquesa from, uh, Conspiracy Take the Crown. This was my pick last week. Uh, so we see it going from 20 to 40. Reddit had a fairly hilarious thread on this, uh, spike and they went on and on about how pro traders are zombies <laughs> and just buy whatever we say. And the card had no right to go up and they don't know what they're talking about. Um, wow. Let, let, let me lay this this case out for them again uh, in the simplest possible terms. I, 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 I just before you get into this, I just have to say that confuses me because we we didn't tell anyone to pick this, right? Didn't this just show up on the movers list? No, no, this was my pick. Oh, this was your pick. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah, carry on. Yeah, it's my pick last week. So called it at eleven originally. Called it again last week. Base price was 20 to go to 30. Um, it's no more complicated than it being a moderately good commander card that was from a small summer set with a limited release a couple of years ago. No chance of an imminent reprint. In theory, it could be, could be printed into Modern Horizons, but I find that very unlikely. Like they they probably will sneak in a few commanderish cards from maybe Battle Bondy, like well it won't be Battle Bond because that just came out, but from other commander sets it's possible that they could print something. Um, but Queen Marquesa doesn't does not seem likely to see a reprint anytime soon. And m- the most important point, the supply was already really low. Like that's the whole tipping point thesis. Like the the we don't just randomly pick a card and then convince a bunch of people to go buy it and then it sells out and then they have no one to sell it to. We're looking at cards that are already selling well. That's why there's no copies left <laughs> because players want them, they buy them. And then when there's like a very low supply left, then you say, okay, sure, such and such people go in and buy some because it's getting pretty low. And they might buy 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 copies somewhere on the internet. But that was you know less than 1% of available copies. From peak supply. Yeah. So, you know, the simplest explanation I give to anybody who thinks that that MTG Finance is about pump and dump is that it's the most inefficient and foolish way to do it. Like the people out there that attempt that or think that think that they can pull that off are just wasting their time and energy when they could just redirect their attention and funds towards cards that players are already demonstrating on a regular basis that they want to purchase and investing in those and waiting until the supply peters out because the two biggest factors remain the same. The fact that Wizards only prints sets for a certain period of time then stops printing them and then hardly ever reprints cards from them and the attrition principle which is that players buy hoard cards and never put sell them into buy lists and it's those two things that drive price more than anything because those are the two factors that drain supply. 
Yeah, well, I guess a it's funny that you have to relitigate this uh, from last week over uh, and over. And b, uh, what's really amazing is why go through all the work to convince people on this type of stuff when you can just pick the cards that are already popular. Like we yep. don't need to go ground. We don't need to manufacture desire. It exists, right? Like people buy magic cards all the time. That's why they cost money. Uh, so why would we? You, you can also make worth money you, that we you, don't have. You can to. also it's make so the argument easier. that there have been leaner times in Magic where specs were not necessarily that obvious. I can remember, like in in our 163 weeks, there have been a handful of weeks where it was kind of tough to figure out what the next spec was. But I'll tell you what, last six months or so, that has not been a problem. In fact, I'm I, I had like eight specs I could have put on the table this week. I cut them and put some of them for next week because there's just so much going on. Yeah, I did notice that, and uh, it is. I, I I will tell you this. I I have to do the article every week, which is three, and then I write this, do the cast here, which is two or three, usually two, so like five total. And it's been a while since I've like had an issue finding cards. I you know I always have to look right, but like I I find stuff. It always without fail, I find stuff. And, um, and and typically, there's very little overlap between us and the two, three, four, five other podcasts or YouTube channels of relevance that also make picks every week. Um, you know, everybody pretty much stays in their own lane and, and tries to not step on each other's toes. And it's most of the picks are still pretty good. Now, I will step on everyone's toes given the opportunity. I just don't listen to enough of the other content to like <laughs> to do that. Rebel, rebel. <laughs> All right. So All right, following. So- Oh, sorry, go ahead. You want to finish your thought there? Anything else? I was just saying, moving right along. Mirrorwing okay. Dragon, uh, Eldritch Moon foils going from 250 to 5 bucks. That's on the back of Feather. Hot new Boros Commander that Command Zone revealed. Uh, it's a 3-4 flyer for one white-red, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was white-white-red. I think it was... White-white-red? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I... you're right. There's no, there's no one there. It's white-white-red. Um and basically every time you target her with a spell you get the spell back at the end of your turn <laughs> feather the redeemed red white white flying three four whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves if you do return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step my oh my that sounds fun yeah i had to read th- this card like Two or three times just to make sure I was reading it correctly. This is fascinating. This is a fun looking card. I really like the design space it opens up in Commander for White Red. I think they've been trying for a while now to make uh, give White and Red some different tools in EDH rather than just punch people. And this is a cool effect. It reminds me of Zada, actually. Um, the goblin from Battle for Zendikar that duplicates your spell across targets when you target him. So it's really cool. People are going to try to make Feather work because it's a unique effect. Um, it's something that might be compelling, uh, but in we're, we're going to talk about the fact that this has triggered a couple cards this week, actually. Yeah. And, and there's probably several more to go. If you believe that feather is going to be popular and I think she'll be medium popular. Like she's going to be hot for a minute here. And just the fact that there's a, you know, people have been looking for a better Boros commander for a while. And this one is pretty easy to build around. Um, and, um, a lot of the cards that would fit in the deck are common cantrips from recent sets. 
So things like Defiant Strike are shoe-in staples in the deck because you get to draw a card every time, every turn. And if you have enough mana, you can do it on everybody else's turn too because you're getting it at the end of every end step, not just your own. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Crimson Wisps, Defiant Strike, all these really cheap things. And so I would actually expect to see some movement on some of the foils because the number of foils in her deck that are going to be really expensive is actually relatively low um, because of all the commons. Right, so that those types of cards will probably see some of their supply drain. So if you find like an old uncommon or common that would be useful in this deck, um, that you know looks like it could tip that otherwise wouldn't, might be a good chance to grab those because I can see those foils going from two or three bucks to like eight or ten. Uh, I wouldn't go super deep, but the option will be there. And I don't know what cards those are. I just having built Zada, I know. Those I know those cards exist, right? One and two mana instants and sorceries that no one would ever give a second look to, but within the context of feathers, uh, seems much more interesting. Um, the other thing is that the cards that are worth money are going to be even more appealing because it, you know, if you've got what is it, sixty-five cards here that are they're going to be in the deck, 65 non-land cards, you might have 15 or 20 just sort of, you know, unexciting commons and uncommons cards that don't carry a lot of value. So it means the more expensive cards, people might be a little bit more willing to shell out for because it's not a deck full of expensive mythics, right? It's got a bunch of commons and uncommons effects. And anyone that writes an article about this card and just calls it Feathers, F-E-T-H-E-R-S, leaves out the A, should read their article because they're a smart dude. <laughs> It's another little, so, another I mean, little internet joke for people. I don't see Feather ending up being a attracts the level commander. I don't think she's going to break top five, but she could be easily be top five for three months. Um, and as a result, there are a bunch of interesting cards that I will definitely run in the deck that I'm not likely to call it as specs. So, for instance, something like Launch the Fleet. Um Launch the if you assume that a feather deck is probably running young young pyromancer and monastery mentor and a whole bunch of cheap cantripy things, um, and Zada and Mirroring Dragon, um, so that when you're targeting things, you're targeting all of the tokens, then a card like Launch the Fleet starts to look pretty sexy, right? Because you get to um, target multiple things, and it makes basically for every creature you target, you get another creature, and then your Zada and your Mirroring triggers go even crazier, and the whole thing turns into like just a total steamroller um but that foil is a dollar so there's a lot of people that will go oh dollar foil it's going to be a like auto include and feather buy it buy it but if that foil goes from two dollars to three dollars sorry from one dollar to two dollars or three dollars or four even four dollars yeah i have a triple up yeah but you're up like three dollars minus fees and time spent so you're not making anything and you got to sell them one by one because it's an edh card and will the buy list catch up on you maybe the the in cases like this where you have an, a medium good commander that's hot for a second figure out the five most important cards get the foils before they pop off and in this case a lot of them are already gone um and then just call it a day like don't go super deep don't buy four thousand dollars worth of it on magic card market in europe just buy <laughs> max a couple hundred dollars worth of this stuff try to flip it fast and and move on to the next thing because the last thing you want to get stuck with is like a thousand foil copies of launch of launch the fleet 
You know, it is really funny that that card is in discussion because when that card was in standard, a friend of mine who has a history of bad specs, um, including making a bet that Gideon uh, ally of Zendikar would not top eight Pro Tour battle for Zendikar. Uh, I believe there were, uh, if the max copies in the top eight is 32, I think there were like 30 copies in the top eight or something <laughs> like that. Uh, he lost, uh, he lost $20 per person. I think, uh, I took, he took seven of those bets. Um, bought this same guy bought like 20 or 40 launch the fleet to the dollar from star city. Uh, the summer before they were about to rotate because he was sure that they were going to spike. I don't remember his reasoning, but it has remained a joke since then. He will be probably, pleased to hear that it is in contention these days. Probably something to do with Battlefield Thaumaturgist. That is my um, suspicion, yes. Because I, I bought both that and I'm looking at a small pile of like 12 non-foil launch the fleets that I bought May 2014 for $1.50 each. I'm sure confidently. and that first that's pretty much the first year where i was pretty getting serious about speculating um and most of the things i was picking were wrong because i was trying to be original and that is the death of good specs Uh, i uh i have a lot of battlefield thaumaturgists (laughs) yep i I sure do it's a fun uh, card. It's it's a pity that that feather isn't a Jeskai commander because would have opened up a whole another range of options. Like yeah. Sa- Saffron was showing off if for modern feather plus Gigadrous being kind of nasty. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Tap down their shit and you get it back at the end of every turn. That is amusing. That is that. That would be pretty sick, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go feather Gigadrous. Feather feather Drows feather Drows Giga feather. It's a lot of good names in there. Uh, I'm not giving up on Battlefield Thaumaturgist. I do think that there's Still some meat on that particular bone, possibly. Um, but I suppose that's a conversation for another day. All right. Huh. So, I mean, moving right along here. Thought Lash from Alliances. Non-foil is going from four or so to about nine for 140% gains. That's everybody going after cards that um, are related to the new Jace, whose uh, win condition is if you don't have any cards in your library. Um, and like Laboratory Maniac before him, People will go after some silly specs as a result, and those are also going to be flash in the pan. Yep, this is like the third or fourth time Thought Lash has been targeted. It is not the first time. Um, following that knowledge pool, uh, no, no, you have Teferi and Lavinia, but I don't even think. Is it? Wait, oh, is it Teferi? Is that the combo? Yeah. Now, Tefer- so foil foil knowledge pulls from Mirrodin Besiege ten to twenty four or so for about one hundred fifty percent. Oh yeah, because with Teferian play, your opponents can only play spells at sorcery speed, but knowledge pool forces everything to be played as an instant, which then they can't right. do. Essentially, yeah. So it's uh, this is like the ninth time people have tried to make uh, knowledge pool work. I have no more reason to believe it'll work this time than any of the other previous times, but. Well, between this and the Lavinia... Good, good speed. Godspeed. Uh, between this and the Lavinia that stops you from playing spells at, at uh, for free, um, you have the pot- potential to be playing four of each plus Knowledge Pools. But the problem is, if Knowledge Pool was a two or three casting cost artifact, I could get behind this principle. Like, you could even make a janky modern deck out of it. But Knowledge Pool costs six. So, pretty tough. Uh, to pull the whole thing together. Yeah, six is a lot more than two or three. You would need it to be 
much less than that. Another good example of a small hype spike. You want to be in shallow, pick them up early, put them up for sale right away, hopefully flip them within a couple weeks, buy list back out, get out. Yep. Yep, Rooney, I will always be happy to sell knowledge pool to people that are buying. Uh, Kaya Orzov Usurper, 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 a supper, Orzov Suppers, uh, out of Ravnica Allegiance Foils, 20 to about 50. Um, obviously, Kart, she, uh, she's been seeing some play in Modern, um, also saw some play in Standard, of course. She was kind of a, a hot moment there for a little bit. So I think you've got some tension in Modern. She had to, a, a little bit of good time in Standard. Also, you've got all the Planeswalker stuff coming out. People are jazzed. So I, I get it, the feeling it's probably a combination of all three. This card won me some street cred. Um, because and you could tell who respects me and who doesn't. Street cred. Uh, yeah, because and you can tell between uh, amongst the vendors who respects me and who doesn't, based on which ones either pulled these off the table or went around buying them after I told them to at GP Cleveland. Um, because anybody that I knew well enough to talk to it about, I I informed them that this card was about to pop, and I had already picked up ten or twenty copies of five bucks. And doled out that information. And I was just talking to a vendor that we're looking to sign on to the MTG Price uh, vendor team uh, yesterday. And they gave me a, a hearty congratulations and a thank you. Because on that advice, they picked up 200 copies of this um, at 5 bucks, <sighs> And they are now market price 15 So made that vendor a little money. Um, just goes to show the pros are not the only ones that knows what's going on. They're probably part of the, what is it, the pro team or whatever now. Well, <laughs> it, it certainly helped the conversation along. Yeah. Uh, following that, uh, we're talking about Fairy Conclave out of Urza's Legacy Foils 9 to 23. How many times have we talked about Fairy Conclave? Like, I feel like it's once every six months or so this card comes up. Fairy Conclave animates into a creature. It gets untapped by, you know, most notably in Jeskai Ascendancy because it essentially is a land that functions as a land war elf. Uh, Urza's Legacy Foils, it's a good foil. There aren't a lot of them. They're popular, blah, blah, blah. We've been down this road like a million times. The Locust God, out of Hour of Devastation, foil 17 to 48. So a real big jump for this guy, almost 200%. Locust God was very popular back when Hour of Devastation was legal and standard. Um, it's now about two years old. The foils are starting to dry up. We know they're coming back in... Uh, Somewhere in war, we've seen them hanging around in the artwork, so we're pretty sure that they're going to come pretty soon. Um, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get them this week, or maybe it'll be early next week because they're kind of doing the spoilers along <clears throat> with the story. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, next week be the week where we learn about what's going on with Bolas and all of his generals and stuff like that. So ret those returning, perhaps as uh, like Grixis, might leave open room for people to want to. You know, oh, I want to run the new Locust God who's in Grixis. I have to go get the old one from our devastation to put in. Um, but, you know, all this kind of combines to set this this move up. If you can get 50 bucks for these, I'd be happy to take it. Uh, this is still a relatively new foil, even as a mythic foil. And it's popular, but it's not like we're talking multi-format staple here. Um, so really, any, if this was 17, anything north of 30, I think I'd be happy to take. It has a pretty similar demand profile to one of my picks this week um it's interesting though i the original rumor i heard was that we were getting the um the three multicolor gods coming back alongside bolas uh 
But it, based on all the artwork we've seen and, and some of the cards that have been revealed so far, it actually looks like it's the other gods, the monocolored gods. Like there's a one of the um, Chandra cards today. No, the Ral card yesterday showed Ral electrocuting Kefnet flying through the sky. So it might actually be that set of gods that we're getting that hmm. we're getting mythics of. Um, I swore I saw the evil guys floating around someplace but i mean well maybe i saw if i saw them eternalized and yes. it wouldn't be boluses yeah right? you saw them eternalized and probably assumed they were based on my earlier comments but as far as i can tell the rumor i originally heard on that to- that side of things was wrong it also makes sense i don't think he would that they would de- devote like seven slots i think potentially eight slots total right there was the three multicolored ones from hour of devastation and then the five monocolored ones from amonkhet right um, that would be eight total. Yeah. I don't think they, they're giving us eight mythics. I suspect we're getting five of those gods. Um, so we'll see how that unfolds. Um, but anyway, it's going to be a new version of each anyway. It's a completely different card. So it may have some synergy interacting with the original printing, which uh, is possible um, and would be beneficial. But Locust Guard is, Locust Guard is already 5k plus thousand decks reported on EDH rec, and that's kind of where we we draw the line like anything over five solid spec if it's a mythic especially in foil yeah yeah i agree uh hmm and yeah i guess it does make more sense that the eternalized gods would be the monocolored ones because he wouldn't eternalize wouldn't need to necessarily the ones ones that he liked and i think they died actually Hmm. i think i can't remember exactly which ones died at which moments um and whether it's i guess it's supposed it's possible that if they were eternalized they after they died but anyway i, I just think it's going to be the other ones um moving right along Bar- baron okay. moore from onslaught foils we talked about another one last week this is just horizon cycling guesswork people going after the onslaught uh original foils from ten dollars to 30 i think you're gonna have trouble unloading at that price if you manage to feel free to hit me up and let me know proteus staff from mirrodin uh four to twelve dollars for the non-foils this is on the back of i mean why don't you pronounce it since my ego can't handle destroying another name. Uh, is that supposed to be Fibblethip? Oh, is that how you say it? Okay. Is that who that okay, is? Okay, then. Fibblethip. I assumed as much. I Truth be told, I don't know if I've actually heard anyone outside of my immediate social circle say the card name out loud. But that is my understanding. I'll go with it. It seems reasonable. Um, now I have to go look this so up. So part of your staff basically lets you go find, pull him out of a deck with no other creatures, right? And you draw two cards because he comes out of the deck. And then if you uh, target him, you can put him back in the deck and do it all over again. Is that what's going on there? Yeah, it's, it is, I'm pretty sure it's Fibblethip. F-B-L-T-H-P. Fibblethip. Um, Proteus Staff. Yeah, so that sounds about right. You do some wild stuff with it. Put Let's target creature on the bottom of its owner's library. That creature control controller reveals cards on the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. That player puts that card onto a- the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of their library in any order. So you can basically, <laughs> once you have him out, you can target him with the Proteus Staff. He goes to the bottom, and then you can go through your whole library and pull him back out again. Uh, that seems like a stretch, but sure. I mean, you, what is, put so you put him on the bottom, then you just reveal, like, if he's, if you only play Fibblethips, you do it, and then you go until you hit the next one. 
set card into play. I don't. I don't. I don't get why you'd want because you get two this. cards. He draws two every time he comes out of the pops out of the library. Yeah, but you have to you have to put Proteus Staff in your deck <laughs> and then cast Proteus Staff yeah. and then activate Proteus yes. Staff, targeting your Fibblethip to draw yeah. two cards over and over again. I, uh, I don't. I don't yeah, know what else. I don't that, know what else that. the deck is doing. I'm just telling you what they think the combo is. <laughs> okay uh sure i mean why not i mean first of all proteus staff maybe people think proteus staff is the modern border ice cauldron and their opponents they're just gonna do whatever they want and they're just the opponents will believe them when they tell them what it does sure. um i don't like proteus staff at all here i'd sell the heck out of this i can't fathom what you would be trying to do with fibblethip yeah i mean i could see what you're trying to do with it i can't fathom it being good so next on the list, we've There's got no combo Demonic there. Consultation um, at a Vice Age going from a dollar to five dollars. I was assuming this was on the back of Bolus's Citadel. Well, yeah, out of Ice Age, though. I mean, that where where are you playing this? In EDH, I'm assuming. I mean, sure, but I mean, the De- Demonic Consultation is sort of uh, Spoils of the Vault. It's like a less painful but less powerful Spoils of the Vault. Um, or a better impulse. I don't know. Call it whatever you want. I I mm, I don't see why this would be. Maybe it's a bull citadel card for vintage, but like, why are you buying Ice Age cards for vintage? Even Legacy. I, I don't know. know. There, there, there must be a stretch. list floating around that I haven't laid eyes upon yet. I'll track it down. Um. Yeah. So we also saw the foil version of Proteus Staff take off from eight to thirty-five. Sell, sell, sell. Gerard's verdict from Apocalypse foils going from a dollar to eight dollars. That's got to be Horizon's guesswork. People are thinking that maybe that's the him to Turok variant that they'll settle on, um, and it's a fair one. I, you could probably drop that into Modern, and things would be okay. Yeah, Cliff and I talked about this while, uh, like the week or one of the weeks you were gone, that everyone who was hoping to get um, uh, him to Turok was dreaming, but this did seem like a reasonable card to be in that slot. It's a little more fair and it's not more powerful, but rewards you for being two colors. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if if you're really we're getting foils for a dollar, I don't hate that because if this does get reprinted, that'll be a great pickup. And if it doesn't, like you're out a dollar a copy, and you can still probably buy list them for fifty cents. Yeah, this is I, I, this is similar to the scrying sheets play right that those foils those yeah. foils are probably in a similar boat um aurelia's fury uh both foils and non-foils took off uh for like 500 percent plus gains on the back of feather as well um saffron is making fun of the spike on twitter but he's probably wrong um because fury is a mythic uh, it's only been printed once as a foil um, there were very few lying around, and you really only need 50 or 100 people to decide they want a foil for Feather to keep it uh, uh, up at the new plateau. So, you know, if people were in on these at a, a few bucks and they can get out 10 to 12, maybe 15, that's going to work out just fine. It's just one of these plays you want to be shallow. Like, I think I bought three copies in Europe while I was placing another order, and I'm sure I'll end up buy listing them in three months or something. Yeah, I wouldn't go super deep on Aurelius Fury. I mean, I do get where he's coming from because we it was tried to make work in standard uh, more I than one time. I think it pre-ordered at $30 or something. 
Yeah, that card looked insane. And to be fair, like it does read very well. You look at that card and you think, wow, this card does a lot for not that much mana. Um, same with that other Boros enchantment that was in the one red, the Ravnica set, whose name I forget. Um, looked really good on paper, was competitively costed. It was mythic. You're like, wow, they're making this work. Uh, never did anything. But, you know, if, if people are going to play Feather, and that's the, the hinge here, um, Feathers, then Aurelius Fury will probably make that deck because EDH is all about living in Christmas land, right? You're not trying to play competitive magic. You're trying to do cool stuff, and that does cool stuff. So uh, I get where he's coming from. It has has bad history with being specced on, but I think it's probably legitimate. The thing is, when it was speculated on for standard, it wasn't in a format where X spells were buoyed by Mana Crypt, Mana Vault, Soul Ring, etc., um in a oh yeah yeah in a form in a format like edh where the games can potentially be longer and your mana production is doubled versus standard uh wow i am so boring this card is so boring that james has been put sorry i was fighting a sneeze there the um in a format like edh (laughs) expos are just much more realistic um because if you have six or seven big mana rocks um then you're gonna cast fury for like five or something and you're getting it back every turn that's the crazy part you do one damage to feather a bunch of damage and other stuff your opponents can't do anything and then you get it back and do it all over again it's not all that far off the, the gigadros play that saf later championed for modern and if i if i'm being honest i think gigadros set feather is more of a stretch in modern than feather aurelia's fury is in edh uh, I just would like to take this opportunity to tell you that I actually don't want you to call me Travis anymore. I want you to call me Big Mana Rock. Mm. That should be my nickname. Right. Big, Big Mana Rock. Rock. You're going to get a t-shirt like that? Joined with... Yeah, it's going to be... I'm going to have like a stone texture on it. Like big man, big instead of big man on campus, a big big man on campus. Big man on campus. Mm. There you are. I like this. This is All right. good. All right, I'm gonna have to get. So fatter. the biggest mover of the week was another feather card, Sunforger. This just happened in the last 24 hours, really. Um, Sunforger um, of Ravnica, and I think Modern Masters 2015, if I'm not mistaken, um, popping from a dollar to over ten dollars. Foils are up in the 30, 40, whatever you can get out of, on them at. Um, I did pick up a small handful in Europe, and I have all of the foils just randomly lying around, I think, probably from MM15 boxes. Yeah, I'm actually pretty jazzed to see this because I had a bunch of these for... I don't even know at this point, honestly, what the spec was for. It was a long time ago, and I still had some floating around, probably like 20 or 30 copies. And then this popped up in Modern Masters 3 or whatever, and I was like, okay, back to the back of the box you go. Uh, so people thinking Feathers is going to make this move is A-OK by me. Uh, every copy, foils and non-foils, spiked. Um, it's just all over the place. Uh, I, I guess, you know what? I will tell you this. If you're playing Feathers, that card is in your deck, right? Like, you're not going to play that card and not put this in. So the question just becomes, is anyone going to play the deck? Uh, which we don't know, right? Like, that part we don't know. And we, I don't think we're necessarily the most qualified to answer that question uh we can just tell you what will happen if well, people do i think we can both agree you don't want to be holding feather spec six months from now but <laughs> yeah. i don't think you need to run for the hills quite yet or be desperate to dump them right away 
um, you know, don't undercut yourself by 40% or something because this was a command zone preview card. They already did one video about it, but they didn't do a full deck tech. I suspect they will end up doing, I, I suspect that they will end up running it on one of the game nights episodes and then doing a deck tech. And that will happen sometime in May, probably. At which point you're going to get another t- chance to exit while 300,000 people watch the video. Wow, oh, yeah. they get that many. That's really good. Um, Josh does a lot of work for those. Yep, he's a good guy. Um, yeah. Now I, I'm now that I agree with you. Like, whether regardless of what the reception is for feathers uh, at the outset, you know, whatever we're looking at, when does this come out? Like end of the month. Regardless of how things are looking in early mid May, that's not the end of the story. You got to let this go for you know probably two or three months and see what the the pickup looks like. Uh, looks like for at that point in time and i don't mean the card i mean feathers um because again i just have to stress that edh specs move fast edh players do not yeah the speculators are usually a big huge step ahead of the players yeah like four months (laughs) all right so let's jump into segment two our picks of the week we've got some spicy ones this week as per usual um my first pick this week is a uh ascendant uh, card multicolor Orzov colors from Kaladesh block um, shows up as both a commander and in the 99 um, for other commanders um, generally useful card to have on board it did, did a lot of work against me when I played against it at GP Cleveland all sorts of combos from all sorts of directions with this card the card is Kambal console of allocation foils from uh, Kaladesh Five dollars right now. Um, I think you're probably looking at a six to twelve month hold, or sooner if the zombies blow it all out. Um, cards great. Very unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon. It's in six K plus reported decks on EDH Rec. Tens of thousands of players are playing with it. Tens of thousands more will play with it before it gets a reprint. Bingo, bango. Uh yeah. I mean, you're not gonna hear me complain about this. I swear we've talked about this. If I, I feel like I wrote about this, maybe. In any case, uh, that's a lot to pick up on decks. 6,000 is very strong. Um, it's also going to see play. Uh, that's not Commander, right? That's got to be just in the 99. Yeah, because I don't even think Atraxa shows up with that many. It's like as Commander, uh, like 700, 780. And then as a card, 6,600. 6, okay. so, so more so, than 7,000. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's very solid then. Um, and it's also quite playable in modern, right? Like you get that play pattern as well. Um, you know, it's just another human, another tool in the toolbox. So I'm I'm on board. I, yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, what's your first pick? Uh, so I'm going to start off with the fifth most popular blue card in EDH. Uh, that would be Mystical Tutor. Uh, now, when I went to look this up, I was expecting one number and found something different. Foil Mystical Tutors out of Eternal Masters are about $13. Uh, you can find quite a few, co- several copies. I think more than two, more than a, maybe a playset or two at about 13. Then it jumps up to like 15, maybe 16. Uh, at least on TCG Player, you'd have to, if you go poke around some other websites, I'm assuming you can find them under 15. But this is in nearly 40,000 decks. Right, the fifth most popular blue card, blue being realistically the second most popular card color in EDH, um, and the foils are thirteen bucks. 
Now, there are two other foil copies. There is the uh, Jace Spellbook copy, which is decent. Um, I'm not, I don't think that one's as good. I don't think it's as appealing. The art's not quite as cool, uh, but it's got the weird border. Um, and then there's the FTV Exiled. Uh, we all know Exiled is garbage. Um, the People just do not like that foiling process. Even still, there's not that many of them. But the prices on the Jace copy are around $7. The or, uh, No, no, they're around $10, $12, I think. And the Exiled copies are like also about $13, $14. Uh, but out of the three copies, I like the EMA ones the most. The art is, is solid. Um, and people seem to like the, the more modern borders get. People seem to gravitate to those the most. Um, so I think that's probably going to be the, the fan favorite there. Uh, so, I mean, just with the raw popularity, supply being on the lower end of things, uh, I think if you can get in at 13, 15, uh, I mean, these at 25 doesn't seem like a stretch at all. I mean, if I told you that the fifth most popular blue card in EDH, the foils were $14, You'd probably be surprised, right? You'd be like, wait, well, how many of them were there? Were there nine of them? Were there 10 foils? No, there were three and one and a half. It's a really steep ladder, too. The Only the first 10 people that hear this are going to get the foils at 12 or $13. Then they're going to be looking at 14 to 15. Then there's a bunch of them at 16 or so, 17. And then it's going to bleed and bleed. And because it got printed in Eternal Masters and is very unlikely to show up in modern through horizons you probably have at least a six-month window if not a one-year two-year window before we ever see this again Mm -hmm. yep super good pick uh what's your second pick for the week um summoners packed i called this back at 12 dollars on episode 151 so like 12 weeks ago and now you can get them at 15 still target of 30 i called 12 to 20 last time now i'm saying 15 to 30 on the back that amulet decks stand to gain with both the new mulligan rule and or if faithless looting catches a ban in modern in the next few months um it's in about 2000 or so edh uh decks but it's mostly about being a four of in amulet titan in modern which is not going to be hurt no matter what gets banned okay all right yeah that that london mulligan rule is something else uh it'll be really curious to see the impact that has on stuff like amulet titan i wonder if amulet titan's almost too fair like i i i still think summoner's pack is a good choice because it's going to fit exactly into the type of decks that will do well with this but you know i just at a specific level it's like i wonder if it's not uh degenerate enough like you want decks that can win on turn one or turn two with this um but the card is is very popular i don't know why we would be seeing it again anytime soon uh an amulet titan will do well people will flock to that deck with this the, change the, the decks uh, that i'm looking at most in modern right now in terms of trying to f- pull out specs are the ones that are top aiding even as broken as dredge and phoenix are currently and as dominant as both decks are and amulet titan just won the scg open as we're going to talk about in a few minutes it also finished third um there's just isn't that much supply and the demand is clear and present clear and <clears throat> present danger that was a movie probably that sounds was like a, a tom movie. clancy novel it was uh I don't think it was him. It was definitely a, a thriller. It was like 
probably 1999 or something. Um, my second pick this week is uh, is a card I wouldn't have been a- expected to be able to pick, but here we are. It's Atali Primal Storm, uh, foils out of Return, or no, Rivals of Ixalan, uh, Return on Investment. They are about 750-ish right now. Now, you might be thinking, Atali Primal Storm, I don't want to buy that card. That was a common promo, right? That was in, like, Walmart packs. It was all over the place. You are correct that it was in big box stores. However, there are virtually none left on TCG Player. Uh, What happened to them all? Either somebody went hard and bought a ton of these things up, um, in which case you got me because I haven't been keeping an eye on its inventory every day. Uh, or they've just been bought up at Walmart, but got absorbed in the people's collections and haven't really come out of the woodwork. Uh, you know, they got, they got bought by nine year olds. They've got put in the collections, those just rotten basements or wherever. So it's not like somebody was picking up a hundred copies of this. Um, they were just thousands of them distributed to one at a time to kids not going anywhere, whatever the case may be. There are virtually none of the promos left, and the pack foils and pre-release foils are also real low supply. Now, this card's a little different than what I would normally pick. It's in about four thousand EDH decks right now, so it's got a decent, it's got a decent demand. It's not humongous, but it's decent. But I look at this card, and I gotta go with my gut on this one. This card is just awesome. Like you, it's just gonna feel so good to attack with this card. Right, like there, you know, there are some times that I see cards that just look so much better than the price and the popularity seems to indicate, and this is one of those times. And I'm every time I felt that way, I've been right. I haven't been right immediately. Sometimes it takes a little while for me to be right on it, but it always comes out that like I had a good feeling about it for a reason. Um, And it's not like I'm the first person to look at this card and think it's good. Obviously, everyone has. But I just want to point out, like, the numbers don't tell the whole story. Like, just reading the card and going, wow, turning this sideways in a game of EDH is going to feel excellent. And I think that that is going to pay this card dividends over time. Uh, So I really like the foils because I think this is just going to be a a popular card over the years. It's just going to get added. I mean, like, it's going to be hard to build a red deck and not want to put this in. So... Seven, eight dollar foils. I think you're good up to probably 15, maybe even 20, uh, especially if it gets picked up in one of these content creator videos, then it's off to the races. Yeah, I would plan this one as a six to 12 month hold, which is a little longer than most of our best options right now. But <laughs> which is which is a side note is yeah, insane is really, because that used to be like short for magic totally finance. Um, but these days I'm looking at like looking at things like dual lens and thinking yeah they're gonna appreciate just fine over time but i don't think you want to be holding them because they're they might do 20 or 30 percent a year on average and we're doing that like almost per month so the atali is best suited i think as a card that you are picking up early so it's not more expensive later for your personal collection um if you are the kind of speculator that doesn't like to be obsessively checking in on your specs every five minutes and you don't mind being in early and you don't churn your assets over and over again, you're not that active, then this is just a fine entry point. Um, the promos being drained so hard definitely raised a flag for me. Like, wow, like was expecting to see 200 copies of the promo and they're just not there. Um, and I think it, you hit the nail on the head where you, when you suggested that they are 
getting they are suffering from the attrition principle they are getting sucked into kitchen table magic from which buy lists never return um and the supply is relatively deep on the pack foils like medium deep but it's Maybe three months too early if I had to really like be critical about it. But I wouldn't be sad to get in now and get in a little later. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean it might be a it might be a tad early to pull the trigger, but it's a cool card. And I like it and I think I, I also feel it. like I also feel like um, I made the mistake of buying some that are in the box of shame. Like a small handful or something. I I wanna go back and check, but I think I bought above the current level. So Better now than before. Um, and no time like the present, I suppose. Yeah, well, you know, even, I mean, I remember seeing the spoil that was like, wow, this card's awesome. Like, this this could have felt like a red uh, smothering tithe, I think. When you were in the moment, you could have been looking at it and be like, wow, is this going to be like in every red deck? Like, how good is this? Uh so it makes sense that you'd be eager to pick it up. And I know we've, we picked it at one point in the past, too. So my next pick um, is obvious and was obvious almost from day one as well as a commander staple. Um, it's in 7,500 EDH decks already, and it was only printed in Amonkhet block. Um, Torment of Hailfire foils um, were certainly better under $10. They're currently around 14 but the reality is the latter is very steep. And you can actually get them as cheap as $12 because the current price wall that's set up is yet another Channel Fireball 50 special. They have 50 copies listed at $11.99 on TCG Player. Um, and it's going to be when those start to drain out that you're going to uh, want to have some in your cart ready to go. Um, because beyond that 50, it's not going to take too long before you're up the ladder to about 20. And then from there, the sky's the limit. It's going to be a... foil easy before it ever sees a reprint. Yeah, this card is, uh, is really good and could surprise people with how expensive it ends up being in a year or so. Um, when this just refuses to get reprinted, uh, I know that I had it as a pick at one point and I'm assuming, I know I'm not the only one because, you know, I didn't even really think that much of it, honestly, when it was spoiled and then it just kept getting played and played and played. And I was like, okay, apparently this is the real deal. Uh, so I'm, I'm yeah, I, I heard DJ mentioned on BSB a while back and almost everybody in the, in the scene has written or talked about it at some point. Um, and it's already like made some people some money because foils were cheaper before. Um, getting out now isn't mm-hmm. that bad if you got in right at the bottom, but probably a double up inside 12 months reliably and you might go faster. Yeah. Yeah. And then with a little bit of attention paid on it, it could get there yeah. certainly quicker. Uh, looks like you've got a couple for us here. Well, a, little, a few extra bonus picks. times in MGG finance. What can I tell you? Um, all right. So, tons of amass cards coming out in war of the spark it's one of the major themes bolus brings a whole army of La- uh, lazotep covered zombies through the planar bridge onto ravnica for a huge war and one of the cards that stands to gain the most from that is a card that is played both as a commander itself in edh as well as in the 99 of other lists and it loves blue-black zombies, which it looks like we're getting a bunch of here. 
um, including a bunch of ones that have excellent utility paired with other zombies. Of course, the card I'm talking about is the Scarab God, Foils of the Scarab God, currently available in the $20, $22, sometimes $24 range. Easy $40 to $50 foil before it ever sees a reprint. Already reported in 4,000 plus decks on EDHREC. Um, ladder is steep. Inventory is relatively low. Grab a handful of these. You just can't go wrong. Sure. I'm on board. The card's powerful. Um, the upkeep trigger is nuts, depending on what commander you're playing. Uh, it reanimates creatures for four mana which is like nothing i mean every line of text on this is very solid you even get to put it if it's your commander and it dies you get to either put it in your hand which means you don't have to pay the commander tax or if it gets exiled then you just let it go to the command zone like it's just a very effective card and with a bunch of new blue black zombie type support cards it's you know i so far none of them have impressed me um but you only need one or two to be kind of interesting and just because i'm not wild about them it doesn't mean other people won't be so I think you could definitely do a lot worse. I think this is a 20 bucks, uh, pretty solid choice. And if you choice. wanted a masterpiece version, the invocation version, um, I mean, if you want to struggle to read the card for the rest of your existence, uh, I wouldn't hold off because there are very, very few left. And that is going to be a buy it now at 100 and in six months, it'll be 150 slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, that almost feels like it might be a pick, to be honest, like the invocation one. Because even though you and I might think that they're ugly, for honestly, honestly, if I wanted to play this card as commander, I would go get the the invocation one. It's it's they're weird and they're goofy and they're dumb, but like I still appreciate that over just like a generic pack okay. foil. And and others will feel the same. Yeah. Uh. All right. One last one here, and this one I'm pretty confident I wrote about, so I'm on board with this as well. I know we've talked about this before um, for other reasons. The thing here is now it's got a boost for something specific that's going on. Primal Amulet Foils, and specifically we're talking about the Biobox version, which of course are much more rare than people realize. They are essentially Mapster pieces. And this card fits perfectly in Feather because Feather is going to be casting all these instants constantly. Not just on your turn, but on the other players' turns. And the keep in mind that the text on Primal Amulet is it's an artifact for four. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. So right there, it's giving you mana efficiency. It functions as a mana rock in the Feather deck. If you have a two uh, mana instant that you want to cast on three, con- three or four consecutive turns, but you've only got four mana up, Primal Amulet lets you do that. And that lets you flip it faster because whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a charge counter on Primal Amulet. When it's got four, you flip it. That turns it into Primal Wellspring, and that lets you get mana of any color to your mana pool when you tap it. And then when that mana is spent to cast an instant or sorcery spell, you copy that spell and you may choose new targets for the copy. That's just going to do so much work in Feather. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is nuts. They're, they're going to love this effect for sure. Um, and again, it's a buy box promo. It's one of the really the, the rare ones that aren't obvious. People are going to want them for sets. Uh, and it's so cheap. It's so cheap and such a, a useful card for any deck that wants to cast. It's, it's also like super this. useful with the RAL, various RAL cards that are all about copying. Like we just saw RAL Storm Conduit revealed two blue, red, four loyalty. Whenever you cast an or. Whenever you cast or copy 
An instant or sorcery spell, Rouse Storm Conduit deals one damage to target opponent or planeswalker, plus two, scry one, minus two. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. You're going to get a very confusing stack. <laughs> Fooling around with Primal Amulet, Primal Wellspring, Rouse Storm Conduit, and all the other shenanigans you can get up to. And I think the combination of all of the new things you can do with this and the relatively modest supply on the buy boxes, it's by, I don't think it's at a tipping point. It's probably 50 copies sold away from a tipping point. But I, I have both English and Japanese uh, versions of this that I bought around 10, like somewhere between 8 and 10 bucks. Happy to have them. Happy to sit on them for another six months if I have to um, to see these appreciate up into the 15 to 20 plus range. Yep, I'm I'm right there with you. I like I said I wrote about it before, so I'm a firm believer in this card. Uh, at you know, ten bucks is just nuts. Alrighty. All right, segment three. Uh, the modern o- open over in Cleveland. One of your favorite decks here taking the lead. Uh, Amulet Titan. Uh, some Esper Control. A little more Amulet Titan in second, third place. Um, is it Phoenix showed up twice? Uh, we got some Death Shadow. Uh, I don't know. It feels a little like, like I don't care that much simply because of Modern Horizons. But what did you what did you take out of well, all this? Well, Emulate Titan doing so well in a field of Phoenix is important. Uh, it demonstrates that when the deck um, goes off quickly enough, it just steamrolls Phoenix. Right? The when it gets its like Slayer stronghold on the table or whatever it is, the land that sets up the Titan to just do ridiculous amounts of damage. Um, Slayer Stronghold, Vigilance and Haste, mm-hmm. um, you know, they just completely take over the game. And they were using Hive Mind to wreck, uh, wreck Phoenix players, um, which was pretty interesting because they can't pay for the summoner, Summoner's Pack, so that piece of tech has been dragged back out into the limelight. Um, yeah, that was uh, the original build. So Amulet of Vigor... Foils probably have a little bit of room to grow, um, as do the non-foils, if the deck keeps doing well, because I don't see them reprinting it anytime soon. The um, the other most notable deck here was definitely the Esper Control build, like a, a player finishing second at a major modern tournament, splashing black in their blue-white control list. And it was notable both because it ran three Nihil Spellbomb main, which is obviously a nod to both Dredge and Phoenix, um, a, a single copy of Kaya Orzov Usurper, which has... Um, certainly helped her price point this week. And then the other black cards in the deck were three Esper Charm and three Fatal Push. Um, Esper Charm on the opponent's draw step is pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that Amulet Titan is doing well. And, you know, even if Modern changes dramatically in the face of Modern Horizons, we know that the deck does carry a fair bit of power with it. Um, and I'm not surprised, honestly, that it's a good foil to Is It Phoenix just because it plays cards that are so powerful, right? Like, Is It Phoenix is all about it's a high octane game. They're playing fast. They're moving fast. Their spells are cheap. They're trying to just do a lot and kind of bury you. Whereas uh, this deck is like, nah, if I resolve like two spells, this game is going to go very poorly for you because there's just so much raw strength in them. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, like it's good to know that. And I agree uh, that, whatchamacallit, uh, Amulet of Vigor is also pretty solid. 
that card, I th- again, I wrote about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, two months ago, that it is uh, in pretty decent shape because it's hard to imagine where it would show up. It's it, like in so one of the things that you like to talk about is it being too expensive for commander decks. I think it crossed that threshold a while ago. So now they really are kind of up a tree on where to put it. Um, and, you know, if the deck gets more popular, there's still room for that to grow, right? Like that it could definitely could definitely move a good bit from where it I is. I mean, non-foils... Only 14 results on TCG Player, all hovering just under $30. That card could push 50 if Amulet Titan stays on top. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Totally agree. Um, other so. The other thing of interest here was that the two Death Shadow decks that finish in the top eight, seventh and eighth, respectively, um, are two different variants. It's the Grixis build and the one with Wild Nactyl and Tarmogoyfs um, and the Monastery Swift Spears. So... Interesting to see that there is no single definitive Death Shadow yet. Yeah. I mean, I don't... With a deck like that, you, there probably won't be. Um, just because people will adapt it to fill whatever hole they need to that particular week or uh, to match their preferred play style. Um, so it really... It doesn't surprise me that they're... It, I, I don't think we're ever going to see it be one specific list unless they print something that's just so powerful it's hard to so i ran an with. experiment on on twitter tonight i'm always looking for new ways to sell cards there because it's free there's no fees um and so i i just threw out the line in the water just naked i just said hey i want to sell 500 cards right now tonight what do you need and got like 20 responses and sold 950 dollars in cards in 20 minutes and one of the asks that I turned down was, hey, you got some Death Shadows. Because I called it recently, and the foils are probably good to sell right now, but the non-foils, I feel like they've still got room to move. I mean, they are top aiding over and over and over again. Yeah, it has been good for those guys. Uh, just, you know, even with Is That Phoenix where it is, I feel like... The two decks that we have seen really put up good numbers against is it against is it Phoenix has been Amulet Titan and Death Shadow. We've talked about those both of those decks every week, um, so I'm not surprised. And I also like that Death Shadow is likely to be well positioned after Modern Horizons. He's a thirteen thirteen for one mana. Um, it's going to be hard to replace that that card for, for him to become obsolete. Uh, if anything, I just imagine him getting more tools. Uh, to, to make that strategy work. Well, I don't think it's going to happen, but if something silly were to happen, like Toxic Deluge being put into the format or something else that allows you to do Ooh. nasty things to your life total, um, it only gets better. Um, and I think it's unlikely oh, yeah. that countering Death Shadow as a strategy is a theme in the sideboardy, uh, solving specific problems type cards we're likely to see in Horizons. I think you're going to see a lot more graveyard hate than you are... Um, Death Shadow hate. Uh, that I have to agree with. Yeah, they're certainly going to take a much bigger shot at that than they are Death Shadow, which isn't to say that they won't put something in. Um, but even still, it's not going to be a primary. I mean, what are they going to They How do you make concentrated, multiple pieces of concentrated hate for death shadow like that's such a specific thing to shoot for um i mean it's like fatal push that's how you deal with that and and i would argue that like death shadow is a hyper efficient mid-range deck it's not a combo deck it's just it's running at the speed that modern is probably supposed to run 
And so I don't think it's going to get targeted at all. Um, there might be some incidental um, hate that just happens to be in the set. But I, I suspect that Amulet, Titan, Death Shadow are very well positioned almost no matter what happens in Modern in the next six months. Yeah. I don't disagree with okay. you there. So, topics of the week. We're probably going to go over some of the newer cards that were revealed for War of the Spark. We're going to talk a little bit about getting started in MTG Finance, a couple of tips and tricks. And then we had a listener question from a listener by the name of Joseph. Um, you want to jump in on that one? Sure. Uh, so, let me give you a run out of this question. Uh, okay, well, I have to well, read I, it. I've got it. I've got it, it. Let me Let me it, jump on this so I don't keep you up all night. Um, Joseph wanted to know why vendors don't list all their inventory at once. Um. And it's funny because we just mentioned Channel Fireball repeatedly listing inventory in 50-card lots on TCG. Um, but not everybody does that. And in fact, um, I notably, whenever I list inventory, only ever list it in the increments that it will be purchased. So if I'm listing, for instance, a foil cyclonic rift and I own 12, I only ever put one for sale. Um and if I'm mm-hmm. selling something that sells in a playset, I sell a playset, and I and I also put up a listing for one um, to sell one at a time. But I never put my full inventory. And you and I always laugh because we see people put up like the splayed array where they're just showing off their spec, and they've got like a hundred copies of Mox Amber or whatever arrayed in rows, and they're like, "How much you need? How much you need?" <laughs> it's like they probably only need four, dude, and they're. And the answer to his question is people are much less likely to purchase if they feel like something could be purchased later at no financial penalty. Yeah. So he says specifically says, do the websites have automatic restocking features? Because he references buying from a store and then seeing more copies show up later that day. Uh, Do they have automatic restocking? What's the and what's the reason for not listing them all? And is it shady? So do they have restocking? Yes. No question. TCG, as far as I know, doesn't. Maybe if you're like a power seller, they give you more tools. I you know, I haven't qualified for that. Um, I'm not going to discount it. It would be nice if they had it available to everybody. Um, but as far as I know, you can't. But that's a pretty big asterisk. Uh, but any independent store, Channel Fireball, Star City, whomever, I would expect them to have that tech available to them. And why? Just like James said, you, there's no really reason for them to tell you they have that many, um, especially because a lot of the stores don't want you to buy all of their copies. Um now, Channel Fireball is an exception. Channel Fireball buys 50 copies. They list the cards, I guess, for what they think, for what's profitable for them. Uh, and they're they're big enough that they're happy to sell them all to you. They don't need to haggle over 10 or 15 copies of a card that might make them a couple extra bucks if they if they dole them out slowly. Uh, they're, they're big on volume. A lot of your smaller stores, mm-hmm. you'll notice, um, if you buy from them, will actually put you know a disclaimer somewhere that you can only buy four or eight copies. And they'll uh, refund part of your order if you buy 20 because they don't want to let you take that many. They want to keep them partly to sell to other customers and partly because they want the profits on those spec cards. Because they're like, well, if you're going to buy 20, then clearly you know something. So we're not going to let you have all the fun. Uh, And isn't shady? No, not really. I mean, I don't really know. 
how you could uh, paint it as such. They basically, it's annoying. It's annoying if you're trying to buy a bunch of copies from one particular store, but I don't think it's, it's a posted number of all. copies is not an implied contract that that is all that is available for sale. Not, not only is it ridiculous for you to assume so, not the least reason of which is that you can't, unless you've done exhaustive research, you don't know how many other copies are out there available for sale, but you know that in the wild, there are tens of thousands of on average, depending on what you're talking about, sometimes millions of, um, if we're talking about a frequently reprinted common. Um, so it's not shady for that reason, but it's also not shady because nobody ever told you that's all there was. It would turn shady if, for instance, if I listed, say, four Mox Ambers for sale on Twitter, and the person asked me, is this your last set? And I'm looking at a stack at the side of my desk of like 60, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally my last set. I just lied. So yes, then it's shady because <laughs> I've outright lied to you. Um, but if somebody says to me, like, do you have a lot of these? I'll say, I've got some, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to tell you the exact number. And I certainly, I'm not going to put that in the, my descriptions on eBay or something, but understand that perceived scarcity is a big piece of retailing everywhere. I mean, and, and, and also remember that anything that has a rarity or is limited edition is not because there are no more materials left in the world to build that product (laughs) it's because they are doing that by design they are selecting the intersection of the supply and demand curves that they think will maximize revenue and that is total number of copies of something we think we can sell times the optimized price if i make the price 100 i might only sell one copy if i make it 50 we're going to sell 50 and if i make it a dollar then people might think it's too cheap and nobody wants it so that kind of psychology plays into a lot of what goes on. That is the uh, the mythic edition, you know, component of this, right? Like, uh, I'm pretty sure wizards could print as many mythic yeah. editions as they want to. There's no limit to those. They could put them in boxes of Cheerios, but they run them at a very limited rate. Uh, you know, for for many reasons, basically, they've decided that's what they want but- to do with them, but. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm the same way. I, I list only list some of my stuff. I don't tell people how many I have. I won't lie, but I also don't volunteer the information. And, uh, you know, when we talk about cards on TCG having low stock, that also doesn't mean that there are none out there. That there, that also doesn't mean that those people that you see with one and two listed don't have more stash. But we only can work with the information that's publicly available. And we know that some of these guys might have more hiding in the wings. What you really notice on very low supply, expensive cards. So if you go looking, for instance, for, let's say, a judge judge Gaius Cradle, and there's a guy who has one at $900, and you buy it. And you're like, okay, the next one up was $1,200, so like I'm feeling pretty good about getting this for $900. Then you check like three days later, and that same guy is selling another copy for $900, and you're like, oh, all right. So he's clearly got a bunch of them that he's sitting on, but he's only selling one at a time because if he puts 20 up, you're going to be like, oh, no shit, I'm not buying one of these. You know, there's all these. I'm going to wait for him to come down. But like, you know, it's just very easy to see it in those. I would also turn this back on the listener, right? The The implication in him being upset that when he kept going back to the well, trying to buy them out, they kept replacing the copies and his apparent annoyance at that is that he was trying to corner the market. Now, not only is that rarely possible, but it probably means you're looking at the pu- the puzzle of MTG Finance from the wrong angle and not one that we would ever support because it's not the most efficient way to do things. 
So either you were trying to corner a card that actually has much deeper supply than your re- than your meager research suggested, and there's actually it's going to be hard for you to ride the coattails of an emergent trend because you are the trend. If you're the one that keeps going back to the well buying the card, but nobody else is buying it, you're going to get stuck with that card for a long time. Now, on the other hand, if you went back, got to go back to the well a few times on a card that actually is going to go off. So like, for instance, I, I would not be upset if I bought four co- foil copies of Torment of Hailfire or Summoner's Pact or any of our specs from this week. And then they reposted another four. Well, I'm just going to buy those. And they post another four. I might buy those too. It just depends on like what my priorities are that week. What I think the best specs are with the, you know, the shortest uh, turnaround time for the har- highest ROI. But if, assuming it was my best spec, like let's say it's foil smothering tie that at you know when i was targeting those i i'm not going to be upset if i'm confident in the narrative behind the card and if you're not confident in the narrative then and that probably means that you are you were reacting to the supply number you saw on screen in one particular place when you should have either been doing better research or picking cards that were where the trend is already well established now, I, I, I'm going to differ from you here. I am not quite so inclined to yell at him <laughs> uh, to make him feel bad. I think I, I, I don't want to blame him necessarily or, you know, right away. My, my think and I've, I've had this happen to me before, too. Um, and really, the way I think about the, the irritation comes from, well, hey, I want to buy all of your copies. But now I'm realizing that I have to go through this song and dance a couple times. And it's sort of like, okay, just you have the cheapest price and you still have a good price. So just sell them all to me, damn it. Like now I have to place an order, then wait an hour, then place an order and pay shipping again, and then wait an order, and then place an order and pay shipping again, and then email you and ask you to combine shipping, which is just like, okay, come on, can we just get this show over with? Um, So I I appreciate just the agitation, not even that like, oh, I feel like I'm getting ripped off or like they're playing a game with me, just it would be nice to be able to do this all in one shot. Again, because if I'm trying to get to, say, 30 or 40 copies of a card and I can't find anyone that has a large inventory, but you clearly have them. Just give them to me. Let me buy them. I will pay you money for them. Uh, so I, I just haven't gone through it myself. It's, you know, I wasn't, you didn't feel like I was being taken advantage. I was just be really nice to get that. My side, my side step on that is that with. if it, it's very unlikely that somebody has inventory that deep and nobody else has any, I mean, it, it occasionally is true, but most of the time it means it, if they're playing games like that, if their price is the best price, then, you know, just keep buying. If their price is not the best price, or you're not sure, then probably you just need to poke around. It could be that the card is in much greater supply than you first realized. You know, you see one 7th edition foil counterspell up for sale on Vendor X. You probably want to check around and see just how many more of those you can find and what kind of prices they seem to be selling at before you decide to jump in the, in the deep end and, and, you know, try to make something happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you go after, if you're right on the cusp of a card that's that's kind of in the process of popping, I think sometimes you kind of find yourself in a situation where you're, you found one store that nobody else noticed yet, um, and so you, you get to be the one to kind of churn through their inventory of a card that's already kind of getting snagged up and is only available in ones and twos elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's not that, like, the the inventory is low. You just got lucky and found somebody with more than one, essentially. I don't know. I think it's 
So th- that's uh, whatever that we, we we've certainly covered that topic. That's what you're looking at with when you see that type of uh, activity on a vendor. And we've talked about that before. All right. So like, um, I'm going to recommend that we punt the beginner's guide to MSG finance as a broader topic for say 20 minutes next week. And instead clean up with just going over some of the hot new cards that have been revealed from war of the spark. Uh, sure. Sure. I was just going to okay. say the same thing actually. Um, so feather, uh, feather foils at peak supply seem like a solid bet. Feathers. Um, and as Jason is fond of pointing out, going after the commander is usually inferior to going out, going after the limited supply specs that are going that are going to be needed to play the deck. And a lot of that's already gone on for Feather. So the window of opportunity, by the time you hear this, is probably mostly closed. Yeah, with the caveat that I would guess that people have are only at level one on that deck so far. Like the level one stuff is gone. Sunforger. Um Aurelius Fury. The other stuff that people will want uh, hasn't moved yet because people don't know they're supposed to get it yet. So, so, that's so I'll tell you there. which Planeswalker wins my award for I wish this was mythic and not uncommon. That would be Sahili mm-hmm. Sublime Artificer. One blue red, blue red. Five loyalty. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one colorless servo artifact creature token. Minus two, target artifact you control becomes a copy of either an artifact or a creature you control until end of turn, and except it is also an artifact. Um, this is basically sets up alongside Young Pyromancer and Monastery Inventor as one of the more busted token generators of all time. That is a very potent uh, token generator. Whenever you cast an on-creature spell, you get a 1-1 artifact token. Uh, quite solid. Uh, the fact that they're artifacts is not irrelevant at all. That's generally preferable to just an, any any non-artifact creature because you can do stuff with artifacts. Uh, she's also a little more annoying to kill, I think, than yep. Young Pyromancer or Monastery Mentor is. Um, with And really, the minus two is just a, a bonus here. That's just gravy. And the thing is that Monastery Mentor ended up getting restricted in Vintage because it was such a busted endgame card in a format where every all the spells are free. Um, and this almost looks like the intended replacement because it the tokens she makes are just vanilla servos. They're not prowess monks. So it doesn't have that steamroller effect where you only have to have like mentor plus a couple of monks to finish the game. Um, but does a lot of the same work, right? And it's in blue-red, the kind of... Well, more importantly, it's in blue, which is the color of Vintage. So I'm very curious whether Vintage and Legacy decks will be able to make use of this card. Mm-hmm. But it's um, uncommon. You know... Right, which is which is the, the frustrating part, right? Where you're kind of where you're... Can't really do a lot with it. Yeah. So, I mean, Karn the Great Creator was confirmed exactly as the spoilers had suggested. We talked about this card last week. Um... I'm going to I'm going to try running it in Atraxa even if I'm not allowed to go grab stuff from outside of the game. Um the more I think about it the more I think turning off everybody else's artifacts might be just worth the price of admission. Uh could be could be it depends on how much you want to hate your table or want your table well, to hate you. What one of the things um, that I was thinking about this a lot about how planeswalkers having static abilities is really if they're good and they represent meaningful disruption. 
is a bit of a game changer and attracts the super friends because planeswalkers, the good planeswalkers have traditionally done one of three things. They either make a creature, they draw a card, um, or they kill a creature, right? Like that's, that's the three things most planeswalkers do. And then their ultimates are usually just game winning off of doubling season. Um, the planeswalkers that have incremental upside but provide significant disruption just from being being on the on the table become things that people have to focus on dealing with and because he comes in with five loyalty they have to get rid of him to turn all their soul rings and everything back on and he's going to suck up a bunch of damage and then you're going to be able to bring him back with some of the other toolbox pieces that are in the deck so I'm not 100% that he's good enough because he doesn't have an alt that activates off doubling season, but I will certainly try him there. And if I don't like him there, I will certainly run him in Brea. I think in Brea, he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I, I guess he's fine. Uh, it depends on how much value you put on the static ability, really. I think the the fetching thing is useful, uh, may or may not be allowed at your table. Other than that, I don't know. He's, I, I find him to be underwhelming is not the right word, but he's fine in EDH. It's not where I'd be interested in him. Um, the rest of the spoilers, I don't know. I guess uh, maybe I'm jaded, but there actually hasn't been that much since we last spoke that really does it for me. So we talked on April 2nd. Um, I guess so. The one card that that I did notice more recently is the uh, which card is it? The Evolution Sage, the three mana oh, three yeah. two that whenever yeah. land enters the battlefield under your control proliferate. That's an uncommon as well, which is uh, a bummer. But that's a really cool effect that will you know a fetch land proliferates twice. Um, so I think foils of that card are going to be worth keeping an eye on. It's an uncommon. They're you're going to come in with a heavy stock. They're going to be pretty cheap. Um, and you might be able to load up on those pretty easily because I think those will get popular. It's just such an easy way to proliferate. It doesn't really require much out of you. It's so cheap uh, that you can do a lot of proliferating net with that real quick. It makes um, perfect sense in the attracts the builds that are all about creatures and plus one plus one counters. It's perfect there. Yeah. In attracts the super friends, it's bad because I'm wiping the board all the time. Um, and I right. rarely am giving them a creature to target. Like I don't even cast attracts all that often in that deck. Um, so throwing down an evolution stage and just letting whatever the next relevant thing that could kill it, kill it doesn't really get us there. But in the, the decks that are all about proliferation, it does a lot of work. Yeah. And I mean, even a deck like, um, uh, what the heck's it called? Get Rog Monster or Lord Windgrace, right? That isn't built around that effect. But if you have a card that benefits from proliferate, well, now you put this thing in play, and it's like, okay, I'm going to play a fetch, I'm going to crack it, I'm going to get two proliferate triggers. Then I'm going to, you know, I have an exploration in play, so I'm going to play, and a burgeoning, or an exploration and a crucible, so I'm going to put the fetch back in the play for my graveyard, another trigger, crack it, another trigger. Now I'm going to play this spell that, lets, that draws me lands and puts more lands in the play. And, like, you can get you can get seven or eight land drops in a turn in those types of decks without too much difficulty, which then means that you can, like, cast your planeswalker proliferate six times in a turn and then ultimate him so it kind of gives you almost another doubling season type effect um that's a little more purposeful i guess uh it's it's different but um it's, it's a cool card you know what is probably most relevant in the current crop of cards we've seen this week is that they are holding back big time 
this thing's being told in like a three um, chapter story, basically. And the final confrontation is in the final chapter. And that's where you're going to get most of the mythics and rares. A lot of that's been held back. We've seen a lot of uncommon planeswalkers, a few rare planeswalkers. We've seen a couple of mythics, but most of that stuff is still being held in reserve. So I think like next week and the week after are going to be very interesting to see what the big guns in this set actually are. Yeah, they really have gone kind of a different direction with the spoilers in that usually you get the real heavy hitters like the first Monday and then like what Wednesday and then the next Monday. So within the first two Mondays, you've got pretty much everything. Uh, and we're not even close this time, so they're definitely doling it out slowly. I agree. Um, by the way, Cranko, 10 Street Kingpin, he's fascinating. Um, when he attacks, you put a 1-1 counter on him. And then you create a number of tokens equal to his power. So he comes in the play, nothing happens. Okay, so he's not Goblin Pile Driver in that regard. Then when you next turn on turn four, when you attack with him, you put a counter on it, and then you create two tokens. Not bad. But what if on turn four you have a way to increase his power? I mean, if you pump his power at all, uh, suddenly he's spitting out four, six, seven goblin tokens in one swing. That's legitimate. So Cranko's a little slower than Goblin Pile Driver, but I do think that the his potential power level is quite high. One of the things I think that is interesting for Limited is how a mass interacts with uh, the creatures with a mass interacts with planeswalkers. They clearly have put a bunch of things in this set that in Limited are meant to ensure that the Planeswalkers can be put under consistent pressure. And one of the ways that they did that is that a lot of the creatures actually are two creatures. So for instance, Lazotep Reaver, one in a black, is a 1-2 and you amass one. So you're getting a 1-1 zombie or making one of your pre-existing zombies bigger and you're getting a 1-2. And a lot of the amass creatures work in the same way. And so that means that boards are going to get very cluttered, right? Um... And I'm curious to see whether like wet, white red flyers ends up being one of the dominant strategies because it can just go over top of everything. White blue no, white red because it's Boros, right? Uh, well, white blue is the perennial flyer. I hear you, but Boros uh, has a, has traditionally had white red flyer cards like Skylight Need uh, Sky Knight Legionnaire, like two two flying haste or whatever, or one red white. I guess. I mean, and yes, Boros has flying creatures. I would stake my hat on Azorius being the more common flying archetype and limited, but that's neither here nor there. What, what did you think of Parhelion the um, second? Or Parhelion yeah, two? Uh, the flying anvil that yeah, that poops out angels. Wait, Six double white, five that. five vehicle. Flying first strike vigilance. Whenever it attacks, create two 4-4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance that are attacking. This card is something else. So if you can get the, if this cost five or six, but still had the same crew of four, that would be definitely be worth conversation. Eight is real pricey. It is hard to get this thing onto the table, especially, you know, paying the, paying the price that is tough to get in the play. Um, and then getting it to attack as well is also very challenging. I don't know. It's fine. I think it's splashier than it is good. I see this as being the return. I will tell you, the return of vehicles in a otherwise non-vehicle set is probably a more interesting. I see this as notice. being more of a feather card. 
Because assuming that the Feather deck is running things like Smothering Tithe and Anointed Procession so that it gets double benefit off all the tokens that are coming off Young Pyromancer and Smothering Tithe and Monastery Mentor, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and uh, Launch the Fleet and all that kind of stuff, then you're setting up to be able to crew the Parhelion and um, it just ends up being one of these like cutesy top-end angel cards that can be put to use in the depowered version. Um, the vehicle that jumped out at me, though, mm-hmm. is Mizium Tank. 3-2 three, three, yeah, for yeah. one double red. Trample. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, Mizium Tank self-crews, essentially. Comes an artifact creature and gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So, you know, is there going to be some kind of, like, storm combo-y finishing, like, blue-red deck that, like, tries to make seven, eight, like, eight, seven Mizium Tanks and get in there for standard? Yeah, I can't I can't tell if this card was supposed to be for standard or not. It seems like it's a little bit of a setup for standard, like it gives you a tool that you have access to if you want it, but that it is more engineered for other formats because it is essentially a uh, Monastery Swift Spear, right? Yeah. Just uh, the more spells you cast, it gets bigger yeah. and bigger. Those tend, those tend to usually be like a gimmick deck in standard, but are more likely to find homes in modern or legacy where you can realistically cast seven or eight spells in a turn. Roll reversal gives me a little pause just because this effect always seems like it should be better than it ends up. Um, double blue, red, sorcery, exchange control of two target permanents that share a permanent type. Yeah. This one's cool. It is the most competitively costed effect of this nature that we've typed, that we've had so far. Uh, we've normally got five mana. Uh, Switcheroo. Switcheroo. name I forget. Yeah, Switcheroo, which has shown up more than once. Uh, this is this is aggressively costed. I mean, in EDH, this is actually really good because this effect is a phenomenal in EDH because you swap one of your young Pyromancer tokens for their like you know seven seven flyer or whatever. Um, the only drawback is that Switcheroo and those effects tend to cost five or whatever. So three is awesome for those decks, um, especially one that can do it more than one. So I like it there. But beyond that, it seems like it's going to be. I could see this as a sideboard card in certain standard formats. If is it is like uh, one of the major control decks, you know, and it's it's a good counter to, against like you know they're not legal really anymore, but like dinosaurs or something to that effect, right? Like okay, here you can have my spellkeeper weird, and I'm going to take your you know carnage tyrant, so you stop attacking me. It's a cool cool effect to that. Um, in that regard, did you notice uh, what I thought was interesting was neoform, which is a slightly smaller version of Eldritch Evolution, which is the two mana uncommon, where you sack a creature as part of the cost, and then you tutor for a creature with converted mana that costs one or more instead of two or more. <coughs> Excuse me, and put it into play. But now it comes in the play with a 1-1 counter. I, I haven't figured out if there's a combo with Neoform yet. Like, uh, is there something that you are tutoring for that you, when it comes into play, has that 1-1 counter and is very powerful because of that counter that I haven't seen, but keep an eye out for that because that could actually enable some real goofy stuff in modern. If uh, there's something floating around out there that has that. that yeah. We talked about this extensively in the pro trader discord um, channels this week about, you know, Eldritch evolution getting up to plus two, um, obviously being better, but this costing one less lets you start shenanigans faster. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. It's really, I think the strength of that card will come down to whether there is a card that really benefits from coming into play with a 1-1 counter on it. 
So we'll take some research to figure that one out. Um, Massacre Girl seems like she'll make her way into Commander at some point. That's the 4-4 Menace for 5. When she enters the battlefield, each other creature gets minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. And whenever a creature dies this turn, each creature other than Massacre Girl gets minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. So basically, if she kills a bunch of small stuff, then everything else dies. Yeah. Yep. She's legit. And Massacre Worm from Mirrodin Besieged, which is... (laughs) Uh, costs one more mana to six five. So Massacre Girl is almost as strong as this massive Frexian plated eighty toothed worm, but um, that just gives all creatures a flat minus two minus two, and also players lose two life when whenever any creature dies. But uh, that guy is like thirty bucks for the non foils. That is a, le- a legitimate card, and Massacre Girl is a very similar effect. Uh, I mean, it's unlikely that she will come into play and not give everything minus two, minus two. So uh, she's going to be real popular. I don't know if you can do a lot with her yet. And pricing him took Massacre Worm some time to get a real price tag underneath him. But she will definitely... It's not an on-cast trigger. So you can get involved in Blinky shenanigans, which is the only... I mean, doing it multiple yeah. times is the only way you're going to justify doing using her instead of just casting Damnation, for instance. Um, but, so I, I, I see it as a card that is unlikely to be a spec. Um, it might see a smattering of standard play. It'll show up in EDH, but it's not going to be some kind of like massive staple. Yeah. I, the, you know, Massacre Worm causes players to lose life uh, when creatures die, which is what makes him so good. Massacre Girl doesn't have that effect. So you're right. Like, why would you not just run Damnation? She's obviously good if all of your creatures are bigger. So you're aren't dying, but everyone else's are. But yeah, it's kind of narrow. Um, got this Cyclops Electromancer, also a fascinating card. Uh, the five mana four two. When it enters a battlefield, it does X damage to a creature. Oh, you know, what? I'm sorry, I read this one the other day, and it's not creature or opponent; it's an opponent. Never mind, forget <laughs> Electromancer. What were you thinking? I just think like there's there's not a lot of meat on the spec bone yet because we just haven't seen a lot of the higher rarity cards. But there's a ton of good utility um, for EDH in here. At the like uncommon yeah. slot, like yeah, a lot of these uncommon planeswalkers are relatively narrow, but they've just perfectly balanced them for their combination of like thematic elements, um, you know, power level to rarity level. It's looking like a really strong set. You know what card I'm I'm not sure about is uh Rolesque, the Apex right, hybrid right. the mythic four five it kind of just seems a little out of place so first of all this kind of i look at this card and i'm like yeah okay it's decent but you're using up one of your precious mythic slots in this set for just like for this for this like this doesn't really fit the story at all he's i mean maybe he's an important character in the story but i mean it's not really told through the cards that i've noticed so far so the only reason no this, is, this this just looks like the excuse to build a, like to give us a contagion engine that's not contagion engine yeah right like this is the, this is the double proliferate card. yeah the fact that he's a mythic card but he's not really part of the story leads me to believe that the card's actually really good and they needed to put this card here uh, for functional purposes. So I am either either that or Simic was just missing from the story and they thought they'd throw him a bone. But it does strike me that this card might actually be like sort of another uh what's that hydra or whatever the worm snake thing 
that was really popular and Simic and Standard that like blew up. You draw X cards and gain X life, and it's an XX. Oh, uh, I cannot remember the name of it at all. It just fell right out of my okay, head. Okay, so you guys know what card I'm talking about. But, but yeah, the the Sphinx's Revelation in Simic. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's not. I'm not saying like it's that card or that it pairs well with that card, but like it's a card that just sort of exists and seems fine on the surface. But it turns out it has it plays a really important role in the format and is more powerful than you realize. So he's going to be an interesting card to keep an eye on because that card could end up being real legitimate. Well, for instance, there's a creature that taps, and if he's got a if it's got a plus one plus one counter on it then it taps for mana e- like equal to its power or something or it just taps no it just i think it just taps for three so if you have that on the table and then you roll esque then you have a creature that's tapping for three and then if roll dies you can proliferate twice on your planeswalkers or whatever um there's a lot of potential synergy there with other cards we just haven't seen all the pieces of the puzzle yet. yeah so it's unclear to me whether this is just something people will test and discard or it will post up as a solid card in the format. Yep. Uh, Hydrate Crassus is what Hydrate Crassus. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else in here doing it for you? I think, I think we're good. Yeah. This is this is it for now. I think next week we're going to have a much uh, juicier set of cards to look at. I would agree with you on that. All right. Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And I, again, am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write every Monday for MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com, where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Brings us to the end of another fantastic episode of MTG Fast Finance. I've enjoyed our discussion as usual, brother. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time.